Dissecting Dexter is brought to you by Audible.com. For your free audiobook download and free trial, go to www.audibletrial.com slash Dexter. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you, as always, from the mobile studio deep in the heart of rural North Yorkshire, England, where it is a very fine, very lovely, crisp autumn day. The sun is shining, the sky is blue, it's a bit cold, but, you know, we don't mind. Got a jumper on and all that, so, uh, you know, I'm very decent today. And uh, ready to talk about some Dexter. Before we get into the latest episode, I should first make a very public apology for the cock-up last week. Um, I have to say, it wasn't my fault. Honestly, it wasn't. The podcast got uploaded on, when was it, Thursday? Thursday afternoon, UK time. And normally it appears on iTunes within a couple of hours. It's um, it's usually fairly quick. Friday morning, it became apparent that it hadn't appeared overnight. And obviously, you know, I want you guys to be able to listen to the podcast before the next episode airs on Showtime. Otherwise, you know, what what's the point? <laughs> um, I was getting a bit concerned. Uh, anyway, to cut the story short, it eventually appeared overnight Friday into Saturday morning, much to my relief. Um, but I have got a backup feed prepared this week should the same problem occur i can just point itunes at a new rss feed in fact i might well just move it anyway and um and then i have full control over uh, over the episodes and and, and the feed and, and whatnot so hopefully this problem won't occur again so apologies again for anyone who uh wasn't privy to my announcements on twitter or facebook about the delay um and were wondering where the the episode had got to but I'm really thrilled to say that despite the balls up with the feed, <laughs> last week um, the podcast managed to break its uh, its record <coughs> Excuse me for the number of downloads in one week. So thanks very much, guys. Uh, I gather that there must be some new subscribers for this season. So if you are new to Dissecting Dexter, then please forgive my rambling intro. I do have a tendency to do that and waffle on a bit uh, in this sort of opening uh, introduction. Um but welcome, welcome, thank you for joining us, I hope you'll stick with us through the season, we do have a lot of fun dissecting the episodes and, and speculating about what's going to happen. I hope to have the odd interview through this season as well, so um, you know, watch this space and watch the, the Twitter feed and, and the Facebook page for any announcements about that. Last thing before we get into the episode, uh, a quick plug for Lauren Velez, who we know as Lieutenant, or Captain LaGuerta, <laughs> uh, she has a Kickstarter project going for her indie film uh, They Call Me La Lupe, it's called, which she's working on with James Manos Jr., who um, developed Dexter as a TV show back in season one. Now, Lupe was a Cuban musical diva, and reading from the Kickstarter page, it says, At the height of the raging nightlife in Havana, Cuba, Lupe in ignites the stage at the famous Club La Red, singing with a never-seen-before never emotional and physical abandon, mesmerising audiences and attracting the attention of the most famous artists and writers of her time, calling her a true genius and the creator of the art of frenzy. Now, uh... 
Lauren Velez and the rest of her colleagues on the film are looking for some support in financing the project. Check out the video and maybe donate to support the project. Um, you can view the video on the Kickstarter page which is found at www.kickstarter.com slash projects slash Lupe the Movie, Lupe spelled L-U-P-E, Lupe the Movie slash they-call-me-la-lupe. Bit of a mouthful, I hope you got that. There's also a YouTube channel, Lupe the Movie, uh, where you can see some videos. There's also, probably best of all, <laughs> is... Um, is a video that features the cast of Dexter uh, pledging their support to the project, uh, including a surprise appearance by a certain someone towards the end of the, the video. So check that out. I did link to it from the podcast Facebook page. Jump onto Facebook, search for Dissecting Dexter, and you'll find it. There's a link there. Um, yeah, interesting. I'll say no more than that. <laughs> right, let's crack on with the new episode it's season seven episode two sunshine and frosty swell original air date 7th of october 2012 written by manny koto and directed by steve shill here we go chatting about some of the periphery stuff first. Periphery to the Deb and Dexter stuff. The Ukrainian mob storyline developed more this week with us meeting the boyfriend of the dead girl from last time, who himself, of course, ended up dead at the hands of Isaac Serko in a sudden and somewhat unpleasant way. I guess they just weren't seeing eye to eye. Serko... <laughs> sorry. He was quick with that screwdriver, wasn't he, Serko? His arm was a blur, <laughs> but I'm so far liking Ray Stevenson's performance. Kind of cold, but charming at the same time. He does have a good on-screen presence. I'm not sold on Jason Gedrick as the club manager just yet, but maybe it's... I don't know, maybe it's just down to how he's playing it. Isaac, of course, is looking for his missing employee that will inevitably lead him to cross swords with Dexter down the line. And given his willingness to get his hands dirty and murder somebody, I have no doubt he'll be on the kill table by the end of the season. At this point, I don't see quite how Isaac will get wind of Dexter, though, which makes me think their ine inevitable confrontation will come from the other side, the other direction. That is, that Dexter will come to him through the department's investigation into the murders of Mike Anderson, the stripper uh, Kaja, was it? And, and now that bouncer as well. So far, the storyline is standard Dexter Fair. It's the case of the season that keeps the department occupied, giving Batista and Quinn something to do so far. I still long for Batista getting something more important to do. He's, he's often so wasted as a character, taking nothing away from the consistent performances of David Zayas. What we have seen, though, is that Quinn is showing no signs of changing, strongly suggested last week as well. He was sniffing around that dancer, Nadia, but <laughs> I had to laugh when she got one over on him by asking if he'd pay for her car repair. Could just be a flirty ruse, though, and she's just making him work for it, if you know what I mean. I did like the ironic smile on Quinn's face, though, when he realised he'd been had. 
Let's talk about LaGuerta for a minute now. She wasn't around much this week, but she's well on the path to trying to exonerate Dokes at the very least. That might well be her priority, followed by reopening the investigation into the butcher and catch the real killer. An investigation that Deb would be expected to be involved with, of course. That'll be awkward. <laughs> we saw LaGuerta open up the old case file and match up the blood slides, giving her enough encouragement to get the new one tested, as we knew it would. The blood matched Travis Marshall. And that's about all we got this week, just drip-feeding us so far, and that's okay. They've got my interest. It's surely only a week or two before she reopens the case to try and exonerate her friend and catch the real killer. No doubt this is where we'll see Callista Flockhart, apparently playing a federal agent this season, and it'll be the feds who come in when the butcher case is back on. There was some good movement with the Lewis plot this week. Dexter finding out about the ice truck killer hand and the auction. I loved Masuka's reaction when he had a brief moment of panic, wondering how Dexter would react. And he came out with one of the lines of the season so far. We're cool, right? Yeah, no one needs to know. Oh, thank God. I was ready to blow you. Not necessary. <laughs> but the conversation gives Dexter enough to go and check out Lewis's apartment. And he finds the laptop, which conveniently didn't have any kind of password or was not locked in any kind of way. Dexter just lifted the lid and hey presto, he was in. For a guy like Lewis, that was extraordinarily careless, but I'm sure it was just a plot device rather than a deliberate choice by the character. The videos were somewhat amusing. Lewis saying all this stuff to his webcam. Dexter wanted to see Dexter in a puddle of his own piss. <laughs> and then somewhat carelessly uh, talking to camera with a topless prostitute next to him, suggesting he doesn't have any murderous intentions. At least I, I, I doubt he would express intention to murder somebody with uh, with a random prostitute sitting next to him. I say that... Did you hear that? What was that noise? That was a pheasant. Bloody hell. Sounds like something being murdered. <laughs> oh, I watch too much TV. Where was I? Yeah, Lewis. Um, talking to camera like that with, with the prostitute next to him. As I say, it it didn't suggest to me that he has any murderous intentions, at least not yet. But I did think it was all a little heavy-handed if they were trying to show him up as a, as a douche, having him take a prostitute when he's meant to be with Jamie. Just, just having him screw with Dexter for a childish reason, that would be enough to make us want him to get his comeuppance, I would have thought. But like I said before, it really did seem that Lewis had no idea who he was really messing with, opening Pandora's box when he screwed with Dexter's life. He had a look of genuine shock on his face when Dexter pinned him to the wall, and I loved the emphasis on his feet being lifted off the floor. Such was Dexter's adrenaline and anger and strength. You'd think that fright would be enough, but it clearly wasn't, because almost immediately, there he was back in Dexter's apartment, smooching with Jamie, but worst of all, he ruffled Harrison's hair. I took it as an implied threat against him. I'm not going anywhere, he was essentially saying. Look how close I can get. It was nicely played by Josh Cook, but again, Lewis didn't realise who he was messing with. Dexter had to tranquilise Deb to take the drastic measure of having another go at him. I'm not sure what he was planning to do with him exactly. 
he couldn't kill him. I think, I think he was just going to frighten him even more. But interestingly, Dexter took the moment to, to ring Deb for a kind of intervention, but we'll get to that in a sec. Let's go back to the start of the episode and talk about that fantastic opening few minutes. It was powerful. Deb vomiting into the gutter. Dexter instinctively going to help her and she violently pushes him away. It was just wonderfully acted by Jennifer Carpenter. A a very emotional performance. How long have you been doing this? How long have you been fucking doing this? Since I was 20. Jesus fucking Christ, Dexter. Those blood slides that I found in your apartment, they look like the ones we found in Dokes's car. Dad? Are you the Bay Harbor Butcher? This is a place to talk about this. Dad? I only kill certain kinds oh, of people, God. like Travis. That dad taught me. He gave me a code. Dad knew. It was his idea. He knew everything. Oh, fuck. Dad. Oh, boy. I must be honest, as she collapsed with her hands to her face, hearing her own father was involved with this, I welled up a bit. And, you know, preparing this podcast and recording that soundbite you heard just then, it got me again. And I can feel a little bit of the emotion now as I'm talking about it. Am I too invested in the show, or did the actors and writers just do a really great job there? My heart absolutely went out to her, her whole world falling apart, just utterly overwhelming, completely overwhelming, and for me watching it, it was heartbreaking seeing her like that, but I was totally glued to the screen. At this point, the fact that he only kills certain people would be no consolation. She'll be envisaging her own brother murdering and dismembering all those people. What a thought, to suddenly know someone you're so close to is capable of doing such a thing. So the conversation continued back in Dexter's apartment. I like the lighting in this scene. Deb in the light, while Dexter was sitting in a solitary chair in the darker side of the room, illuminated by a single lamp, like a kind of interrogation setup. But as hard as it must have been for Dexter to be having this conversation with his sister... It must have been kind of liberating, freeing in a way. He gets to be completely honest with her, although not knowing how she'll respond. There was a nice exchange when Deb says he makes it sound like he's the victim, and she pointed to the slides. There was a nice throwback to season one as Dexter mentions some of the early kills like Dr Meridian and Mike Donovan, and questions really who the victims are. There was a nice line from Deb, how she must be the worst detective for not realising, but as we know, (laughs) she's always had a blind spot for Dexter, but you can't blame her for thinking this. Dexter asks her, what's she going to do? And he does it in a kind of way with a, 
a, a semi shrug, almost challenging her to take him in. <laughs> and she gives him the good news with a fist. Pow. <laughs> At the end of the scene, Dexter sees the prosthetic hand, and it's obviously the first he's seen of it. Deb clearly uncovered it when she turned his apartment over, and he didn't know he'd been sent it. And that ended a terrific few minutes. Some of the best few minutes in the history of the show, in my opinion. Up there with the classics. Kudos to Manny Koto, who wrote this episode. Wow, <laughs> thinking about it, what pressure <laughs> must have he felt to get this right? But what an honour too, because this is a key moment in, in the scope of the whole series. Deb and Dex had another conversation the next day, Deb not knowing what to do. She started talking about addicts, and I'm sure you guys thought the same as me, remembering back when Rita thought Dexter to be a drug addict in trying to help him. It's sweet that Deb wants to help Dexter recover, control his urges, having him move in with her. It's sweet, but naive, but it's, but it's so touching how, despite the dark things he's done, she still wants to help her brother above all else, so Dexter moves in with her. No mention of where Harrison is. Presumably he's with Jamie, but is she prepared to look after a small child full-time like that? We're talking 24-7. What have they told Jamie? How long is Dexter staying at Deb's place? Again, Harrison seems to be forgotten. An afterthought at best. It's, it's a weak link in the show, and never shows Dexter in a really good light as a father. At Deb's house, they have another insightful conversation. Dexter fascinatingly describing how his urges manifest themselves, how they, how they start to brew up inside him. Deb's response is great as he's talking about visions in his head of blood building up. The only way to relieve the pressure is to open the floodgates. Let it spill out. Believe you're like this. You're a sick fuck, Dexter. Jesus Christ. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it. Yeah, maybe not while I'm serving fucking tomato sauce. But she summed up why she's helping him. Because he's her brother, and she doesn't want to see him spend the rest of his life behind bars. Or worse. And it's Deb's heart of gold there, my friends, putting the welfare of her brother before anything else. And... We love her for it. Let's touch on Dexter's interactions with Wayne Randall this week. Dexter had always been trying to achieve normality, find his humanity, conquer his dark passenger. But then, at the end of season five, he seemed to reach the conclusion that he couldn't change. He is what he is. It's his fate to be like this. Then, here's this guy, Wayne Randall, facing the rest of his life in prison after a killing spree some years before with his teenage girlfriend, Hannah. Remember that name. <laughs> but he talks about having reached a kind of peace. Acceptance of his situation, surrendering to what he is, letting go of the anger, giving Dexter food for thought. And then, of course, he goes and chucks himself under a lorry and Dexter gets covered in blood and realises Randall could actually neither change nor take life in prison. He wonders if he can. What's new for him this time? Because he has asked this question of himself before, whether he's capable of changing. 
But what's new this time is that he has Deb's support. She's ready and willing to help him keep keep him on the straight and narrow. So maybe, <laughs> just just maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot the bit when Dexter goes back to get Lewis, hitting him with the old M99. It was a funny thing when Dexter drives out and calls Deb. He tells her he nearly cracked and she drives out to him, as I said earlier, to do a kind of intervention. Which I thought was risky. Dexter knew she was groggy from the tranquilizer, and she could have easily fallen asleep at the wheel and got killed. I wasn't sure from the whole sequence whether he was being completely genuine or whether it was a gesture to reassure Deb that he was willing to accept her help. Maybe he's just conflicted. But as he spoke to her next to his car, I couldn't help... No, I couldn't... I couldn't make up my mind whether he was being genuinely, genuinely genuine or just putting on an act for Deb. I don't know. I don't know. Never know with Dexter. He's such a good actor. Says the right things when he has to. Time will tell. But it was quite funny him just leaving Lewis on the bench like that. <laughs> he'll be very puzzled when he wakes up the next morning. But as Dexter says, he'll probably remember how he got there. Overall, another very strong episode helps it helps maintain my optimism for the season. It's really set out well with more than just the main storyline looking in good shape. And it's been a well-packed couple of episodes. If they can keep this up for the next ten, we'll be singing the show's praises come the end. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're ranking this up there with the stronger, earlier seasons. That's not to presume that it might end up being as good as season one, or even as good as season two. But, you know, it might end up ranking maybe third overall in the... Uh, in the chart of Gareth's favourite Dexter seasons. <laughs> and I know, I've tried to do that before and failed miserably. <laughs> now, I, I feel like this has been quite a detailed review this week compared to last week, although last week I did compile my review without re-watching the episode. But anyway, moving on, <laughs> let's hear what you guys thought about it. Listener feedback. Alright, firstly... An email from Mike Lanich, who appeared on the Season 7 preview roundtable a couple of weeks ago. Uh, apologies to Mike, it looks like he, he did send in some feedback for the premiere episode last week, and unfortunately it looks like it got lost in the ether somewhere and didn't make it as far as my inbox to be read out on the podcast. Um, just to sort of briefly go over what he said now... Um, he ranked the Season 7 premiere among his top three episodes, Dexter episodes of all time. He said that you can tell that the writers spend a lot of time writing and rewriting that opening scene, finding just the right notes to strike and tightening the dialogue and tension to the perfect level. In all honesty, I wish they would spend this much time on every scene of the show because this opening scene is easily the best single scene they have ever done in all phases of the game. Mike goes on to say that it was sad watching Dexter carefully manipulate Deb into helping him cover up the murder, making her an accessory after the fact. Despite that careful manipulation, you can see the palpable fear in his eyes. 
Deb has always been his tether to the world, and like Deb, who said in season four that Dexter was the one really good thing in her life. So, in many ways, it's been the same for Dexter as well, except Harrison also qualifies as a tether too. He's depended, I think, on Deb's love for him as something that subconsciously has kept him from going completely wild about as much as Harry's code has over the years. Of Lewis, Mike essentially wrote that despite what they're doing with him, he thinks he's shaping up to be a major player towards the end of this season and through the rest of the series. Mike also loved the ending of the episode with Dexter admitting he's a serial killer, ranking it up there with the best episode endings just below the season four finale with Rita. Mike's main quibble about the premiere was the choice of Kill Room, something I expressed my own concerns about last week. But in the Dexter wrap-up podcast, Scott Buck addressed this and said it was after hours and the lost luggage room was locked for the night, so Dexter felt pretty safe. Personally, I'd still question it being in such a busy public location, but there we go. The show does this sometimes, doesn't it? And we just have to decide how much we'll let it bother us. Mike summed up by saying... And I quote again, despite the airport killing, this episode is easily the best written and tightly plotted episode they have had since at least season four and probably ranks up there with some of season one and two episodes in those areas. The writing was boiled down to the bare essentials. No fluff, no filler, no characters talking for the sake of talking. If anyone said anything, it was for, the, it was for a good reason. Otherwise, they were silent. I hope the rest of the season continues to be this tightly coiled and well done. If so, this may very well rank next to season one as the best seasons of the show, which, as we all know, would be very, very high praise indeed. Thanks, Mike. Apologies again for the internet. <laughs> Let's move on to Mike's thoughts on episode two. And I quote again. Let's start with the immediate aftermath of the premiere's shocking final scene. It feels like the writers know they have to keep the momentum and overall frenetic energy of Deb's initial revelation at the church going strong by blindsiding her over and over. Dexter's killed someone. He's a serial killer. He's the Bay Harbour butcher. Harry was involved. Harry taught him a code to kill by. That she manages not to get sent to a psych ward is astounding, but forcing Dexter to live with her to help him control his urges is sweet, but also naive. In a way, you can see that she's holding on by a mere thread, and that thread is the lone sliver of hope that Dexter might be able to change. Before I go on, I just wanted to say that the idea of Dexter asking whether he can change is becoming a very, very tired topic. Through the first four seasons, the original question, and all of its permutations, felt organic and with a purpose. But now, asking the same question seven seasons into the show, I can't help but feel like the writers are unable to find another deep and intelligent idea for Dexter to ask himself. Now on to Lewis. I feel very confident now, after watching this episode, that Lewis is getting both creepier and outright scarier. I feel like my original vision for what and who this character would become is going down its logical path. It had nothing to do with the videos he made, or his recent dark rants about Dexter. Instead, it was Lewis showing up all calm and smiling at Dexter's pad with no hint of a problem the day after Dexter slammed him against the wall in Lewis's apartment and seemed to scare Lewis into fleeing the city. Using just body language and a smile, Lewis appeared fully confident on Dexter's turf, with one little rub of Harrison's hair, he made his point clear. Now, it makes you wonder who is the better actor these days, Lewis or Dexter? 
There was no false note in Lewis's reaction to Dexter's attack, and yet, with each passing season, Dexter's mask has slowly disintegrated. You cannot fake what you are actually beginning to feel. I feel reasonably confident that Lewis is still still on track to become a true serial killer by mid-season. I'm still very interested in seeing what connection Lewis has to the ice truck killer. I still believe there is far more to this than we currently know. It will be interesting to see where the Dexter and Deb relationship goes from here as it's the core of the show this season. I'm hoping for more revelations for Deb to have to wade through with each coming episode. Thanks very much, Mike. Your thoughts on Deb's reaction are quite similar to mine. As for Dexter asking if he can change, it is a tired question, one that has been explored a lot in the past. And, like I said in my review, he pretty much decided that this was the way he'd always be, at the end of season five, when Harrison blew his birthday candle out. Oh, excuse me. Lunch. (laughs) But it was refreshed this week, because this time... Dexter has Deb's support, and he briefly saw a glimmer of hope through Wayne Randall before that was dashed all over the road in 17 Shades of Red. Randall also mentioned how Hannah used to think he was something special and now just sees him as a killer, a not-so-subtle parallel to Deb now. But maybe Dexter will again be open to the possibility of change. Can he substitute his need to kill with something else? I'm not sure there's the equivalent of a a nicotine chewing gum, but we'll see. Mike, your thoughts on Lewis? He did turn up at the apartment all confident and cocky after being assaulted by Dexter. It still backs up my feeling that he has no clue of what Dexter's capable of, no no idea who he's screwing with. But that confidence has to stem from something, and we don't know what that is yet. Perhaps we'll find out next week. It does keep the intrigue going, but I liked your reminder, Mike, about masks. And you're right, Lewis is wearing his own one now. Just jumping over to the Dissecting Dexter Facebook page, some comments on there about the episode, from Mike Wilkerson of the Two Guys Talking Dexter podcast, says that this episode shows shows what Dexter is capable of as a programme. Let's hope for ten more episodes like it. Matt Cook said, there are parts of the reveal I'm not huge on right now, but I get it, so I'm patient. Janelle Gaylard said, electric, tense, loved it all. Joan McMullen said, it was really good, loved the parts with Josh Cook, he's awesome. Tom Oslewski from Poland said, I felt like the tension disappeared way too fast. Also, it pains me to see Quinn always, whatever he's doing, could be a bit better, could be worse. Interesting point there, Tom about the tension disappearing a bit too fast. I get where you're coming from, but I think there's more to come. I wouldn't write it off yet. I think we're just sort of settling into a, maybe briefly, into Deb trying to help Dexter, clinging on to that sliver of hope, as Mike described, and Dexter trying to make her believe that it's working. But how long will it be before Deb starts to suspect that maybe the wall's been pulled over her eyes lest we forget she's an intelligent woman (laughs) further comments tommy shelton said finally got the question i've been waiting for are you the bay harbor butcher sandra piser said awesome and there's so much more for deborah to find out brian trinity that she almost caught him before when he killed with lumen and will he ever be will he never be cured no i've not read that right she said (laughs) 
and that Deb almost caught him before when he killed with Lumen, and he will never be cured. <laughs> Loved every minute of it. Thanks for your comments, guys. On to a, another email now from Mickey Nettlingham, who emailed to say, Enjoy listening to your podcast. I have a theory for discussion. Could it be that Lewis could be directly associated with Brian Moser? Brian said he was institutionalised all his life. Could Lewis have come into contact with Brian during this time, and they may have become friends or associates? Another theory I have is that Dexter may get caught for murder at the end of season 8, but not for all his serial ritual kills, but for the impulse kill he did of the redneck guy in the toilet block during season 5 when Dex took off on his boat for several days when the FBI were waiting to question him over Rita's death. It was never clear which state this kill occurred in and Dex was not prepared for it. There was no scene indicating he even disposed of the body. Maybe somehow he will get tied back to this murder after an ethics DNA probe of Miami Metro, given the department history. Also, after Rita's death, Dex stated to Deb, It's my fault. I wonder if she will recall this now she knows the truth about Dex and cause her to really question Dexter's involvement in Rita's death. Thanks, Mickey. The Lewis-Brian connection is one that's come up before, and we have talked about it, I believe, on the podcast. I don't honestly know how much substance there is to this, though. It's a good theory, but I don't think we've seen much substance to it yet. The hand is possibly the only thing. When Dexter had Lewis in a panic against the wall, his feet lifted off the ground. Lewis just said he sent the hand to screw with him. A joke. Of course, that could have been an act, to come across like he was scared. Referring back to Mike's earlier comment about a mask. It is possible that Lewis came into contact with Brian at some point. But then, what luck that Ryan Chambers stole the hand from evidence and sold it online to Lewis. He then, and then he, he got an intern job in the same place. All a bit convenient, unless he was in cahoots with Ryan. But then again... Josh did say to me that this wasn't the case, and he was careful in our conversation not to give any clues or spoilers. So, I'm sure he was being truthful as far as his knowledge went, although who knows what the writers came up with after the, date of, after the day that I spoke to Josh. So, I guess, I guess it's still possible. Your theory, Mickey, about Dexter's arrest for that impulse kill it's possible and we did speculate about it at the time it was the uh, season 5 premiere and and how crazy the kill was the mess they made trashing the washroom Dexter clubbing the guy with the anchor there had been blood all over the place and he wasn't exactly prepared for any clean up I thought it was one of those moments really that we just had to accept and move on from. The point of the scene, I believe, was to depict Dexter's mindset at the time and give him the chance to have that blood-curdling scream. We shall see, though. It's always good to hear theories, and I thank you for them. Another email now from Richard Villasenor. Villasenor? I've probably butchered your surname. <laughs> Apologies, Richard. Who emails to say, Hi, Travis. I'm a new listener to the podcast, and I'm loving the insight you provide. I look forward to hearing your perspective on this exciting new season. 
My expectations were high for this season and the Premier did not disappoint in my opinion. For the Premier, I think the writers had a bit of fun leading the audience on in the beginning, having us believe that Deb would choose to blindly hope that baloney Dex was feeding her was true, and for a while I was buying it too. But as much as Dex cannot help but be a skilled killer, Deb cannot help but be a skilled detective. Aside from the legal consequences of not immediately turning Dexter into the police, it will be fascinating to see how Deb copes with her complex feelings for a stepbrother and her moral character in general. I think a deeper explanation, exploration into Deb's character will be a fun journey and gives me high hopes for this season. Again, love the show. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. I had to read your original message in full because it made me laugh. <laughs> and I'm sure Travis Shefflin will get a kick out of it. To be fair, you did follow up with another email when you realised what you'd put. And I'm glad you're on board with the direction of the show this season. I think we're all feeling pretty hopeful at the moment, some of us more than others. And you, you mentioning there about a deeper exploration into Deb's character being a fun journey. I wonder if we'll have the psychiatrist back from last season with some more dissection into Deb's psyche. I mean, God knows she's... <laughs> I don't know how much she can reveal to a psychiatrist, but... Um, I don't know, she wasn't discharged, was it? Was she? And uh, we're still only a few days after the end of last season maybe less <laughs> so uh, you know I, I know not many of us approved of the psychiatrist's suggestion that Deb's in love with Dexter there I said it out loud didn't I um, but there was certain certainly some value in the exploration of, of Deb's character in those sessions and yeah no, I think it'd be good to to revisit that Okay, moving on to another email now. We've we've done well for emails this week. Uh, Hampus Hegland from Sweden, our first Swedish correspondent, um, emailed in to say, i just finished watching the second episode and I loved it. It took seven years, but finally Dexter himself thoroughly explained what his dark passenger really is and what fills him up inside just before a kill. Personally, I thought this was a really great move from the writers to just take a minute and let us as viewers get to know Dexter a little bit more, even after so many years. I also love how there seems to be no fucking around this season, brackets, sorry about the F-bomb, <laughs> and that the writers really dare to head this straight on. If you think about what happened in the first episode, and the first five minutes in this second episode, it is truly amazing for the show. Now the writers don't have to follow the same pattern, but are really able to take this show to its end with some really unpredictable action. As mentioned in earlier podcasts, Lewis really looks to be the one to look out for, and hope for this season and hopefully even next season. For me, the scene where Lewis appears in Dexter's kitchen and opens his fridge while, quote, the whole family is there, is without a doubt the best scene of the episode. What a tension in the air as Lewis looks at Dexter and smiles just to tease him. And then I really love Dexter driving the train while having the inner monologue there. Just a perfect scene. Perhaps one of the best through the whole series. This is the first season in a long time that we as viewers are given the chance to create really wild theories about what is going to happen. I would like more of that. More Lewis-like characters that we don't get to know completely. And the LaGuerta storyline is definitely exciting. I can't see it ending well for her. The one thing I didn't like about this episode is the development of the mob storyline. 
I hope they have a good idea about how to involve Dexter in it. Otherwise, it will play the second fiddle to what's going on with Dexter and Deb all season long. One last thing, the music that appeared in the scene when Dexter sits on the edge of his car with Lewis in the trunk, wasn't that just incredible? I associated it with the music that's in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Just a long, nagging and powerful tone in the background that at least has me on the edge of my seat thinking that something big is about to go down. Thanks again for a great podcast. I really hope you're able to put one out almost every week. Best regards from Sweden's biggest Dexter fan. (laughs) Thanks very much. That scene over dinner with Deb and Dexter... It was fascinating. You could see Dexter reaching into that dark place to get all descriptive and vivid for Deb. It's always good to discover something new or different about Dexter's psyche and how his mind works. The writers have already given us a lot this season, and you might wonder what they have left, but I have a lot of optimism for this reason. If they could afford to give us all this in the first two episodes, what have they got in their back pocket still to come? I like your comments about being able to create wild theories. Hey, it's what keeps a podcast interesting <laughs> and stops it being a straight review show. Lewis holds a lot of intrigue and still has a speculating. LaGuerta's storyline is fascinating. The mentions of Dokes only enhancing my excitement for it. The Ukrainian mob plot is destined to be secondary to Deb and Dexter, although maybe through the season it will take more of a centre stage position. And I'm glad you mentioned the music. It does often get forgotten, but I've long applauded Daniel Licht's work. I just wish we heard more of the blood theme. I love that. But it was very subtle in that scene, brooding in parallel to the dialogue. Go back and watch the scene again if you missed it. Actually, I watched it again preparing for the podcast, and the more I think about it, the more I think Dexter was telling Deb what she wanted to hear. Try and ease her off his back, make her believe he's able to control things. Anyway, thanks, Hampus. Hope to hear from you again. Did you kill all these people? I did. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Are you... Are you a serial killer? Yes. Hey, Gareth, it's Travis. Uh, And it looks like we got another pretty good episode of Dexter on our hands uh, this week. Uh, I'm talking you know which one I'm talking about. Sunshine and Frosty Swirl or whatever the fuck it's called. You know which one I'm talking about. That crazy name. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I hope you and I hope your listeners thought it was good. Perhaps I recognize that the episode did have flaws. Uh, Perhaps I'm willing to overlook them because I just so want to like the series again. But I I mean I've always wanted to like the series. I don't want to dislike something. So I mean I I think it's my genuine reaction. I'm willing to forgive episodes flaws, which I'll get into a little bit. But uh, I, I, I liked it pretty much. Um, you know, for me, I think perhaps for you too, I mean, the Lewis story kind of came to a head. I'm glad Lewis isn't out of the picture just yet. There was a point in the episode where I, I thought, oh, is he going to be on Dexter's table? But, you know, he hasn't. He wasn't, or at least not yet. But um, I'm still, you know, I'm t- kind of taking Lewis at face value. I've kind of accepted that Lewis is just kind of being a whiny brat uh, to Dexter. Uh, I don't think that there's anything much cooler than that. But, I mean, that him sending the ice truck hand to Dexter, that's a crazy coincidence, right? Right? I don't know. So, I'm kind of accepting that he's this way. 
but I'm hoping, you know, I got my fingers crossed that maybe there's still more to it. I don't know, though. I hope that at the very least this little cold war between Dexter and Lewis just continues for longer than, you know, hopefully it doesn't just get resolved next episode. But I don't know. Uh, but I'm I'm glad at least that's still going on. Lewis is kind of very, very creepy, just not even afraid of Dex. Yeah, it's something to be admired there, I guess. Uh, so far, I'm pretty disinterested in the whole, like, Ukrainian mob plot. I mean, I'm confident it's going to concern Dexter much more directly, you know, sooner than later. But as far as just right now, I feel like it's a waste of time. Like, every time it's on screen, I feel like something far more interesting is going on with Dexter and Deb. Or, hell, even something far more interesting is going on with La Guerta. Isn't that weird to say, huh? Yeah, for the first time ever. Uh, yeah. If you just heard a sound in the background, ignore that. That's that's something. Don't. There's some funny business going on. Anyway. Uh, I was a little disappointed. Uh, Deb seems to be kind of getting over this whole Dexter thing a little quickly, more quickly than I thought. Um, it's not a deal breaker for me, but she's kind of very nonchalant about it. Um, it feels like she isn't even really considering the fact that Dexter framed Dokes, an innocent man, her ex-partner, as being a murderer. And, although Dexter didn't directly murder him, Deb has no reason to think that, that you know, Dexter didn't plan on murdering Dokes. You know, she it doesn't seem like she's really considered that. She You know, Dexter's convinced her that he has some code or whatever, but, I mean... He killed Dokes. Um, I was also disappointed Deb didn't ask a lot more questions this week. That kind of got ignored a little bit. I mean, like, I mean, I guess she knows everything she needs to know, but I feel like it'd be really cathartic for Dex to come clean to her for some stuff. You know, like, oh, I killed my brother to protect you, or, oh, I killed Trinity. You might be interested in knowing that I killed Trinity, Deb. Or, you know, Gareth, I love season three, so I'd even like to hear something like, oh, yeah, uh, Miguel Prado killed that Ellen Wolf lawyer girl. You remember her? So then I killed Miguel, and I also killed the Skinner right before you showed up. That's why my hand was broken on my wedding. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I'd kind of like, for two purposes, I feel like it'd be a Dexter getting like a clean slate or just kind of getting shit off his chest. It'd be very nice to see Dexter do that. But also, it's a fan service. You know, it shows that the, that the writers remember shit that they did in the past. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it rewards longtime viewers. Like, oh, I know what he's talking about. He kind of had a, <laughs> the callback to that, and that remember when he was calling back his, his previous kills, which all happened to be from season one, when he was telling Deb like this pedophile I killed, or these, you know, uh, the the coyotes that smuggle people in from Cuba and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. That's I'm just minor nitpicking. Um, I still feel like they're downplaying Harrison in this episode. Uh, again, we barely saw him, much less heard about him. Uh, and when we did see him. You know, he was, like, behind a table. I'm convinced... My idea is... Maybe I'm crazy, but... I'm thinking he's getting too tall. Or, it's, you know, it's a set of twins that play him. I think, like, the twins are getting too tall because it's been so long. So, it's like they're trying to hide that. So, like, he was, like, behind a table the whole time we saw him. And... I don't know. Call me crazy. Someone tell me I'm not crazy. But, like, when Dexter was with... When it, there was, like, a, a shot where Dexter was talking to Harrison, the camera was over Dexter's shoulder looking down on Harrison playing with his train. It looked like Harrison was, like, blue-screened in or something. Like, it looked like... I don't know. I don't know. It was... I am crazy. But, um... I normally... I, I would frown on sweeping plot lines under the rug. Certainly something as important as Harrison, because he was essentially the whole catalyst for Season six's events. Um, and I did love Aster and Cody, and I'm sad that they're gone. But... I don't really care for Harrison, so maybe I'm trying. I'm kind of forgiving this. I don't know. He kind of, like most babies on TV, he kind of ruined the show when he showed up. I think. 
anyway, um, I loved Deb's line about <laughs> about when Dex when she's like, "Oh, you," when Dexter told her that he he calls his urge to kill the dark passenger or whatever. She's like, "You gave it a name." I thought that was funny because I always thought that was ridiculous. Um, it works well in the in the Dexter novels, him referring it to as a dark passenger, because uh, I mean, more or less, it is Dexter is like kind of out of he's not in control in the book, but I I feel like he's much more sober when he's killing uh, in the show. So it is ridiculous that he ha- he pretends like he's being. Uh, I think as Deb later referred to it, it sounds like you're possessed. But uh, anyway, um, this was like the longest episode in recent memory, I believe. I mean, it ran, looking at my clock, it ran almost 48, I mean, uh, excuse me, 58 minutes. Uh, I mean, of course, that does include the intros and the previously on, but I remember episodes in season four and five and probably even six. I remember some episodes would run up to 10 minutes quicker. Like, it'd be like a 48-minute episode, including the the intros and whatnot. So I was really happy. Like, I, I could get used to this. Please, longer episodes. I That's what we prefer. Uh, my last two points are just total tiny nitpicks, but involving continuity that I hope other people will address so I don't sound like a total asshole. Uh, one was when that Wayne Randall guy was eating his ice cream. It kept bugging me. His ice cream kept getting eaten and then uneaten, like just back and forth between the different shots and the edits that they did. Uh, but like at the end of it, like he has a full fucking ice cream that he hasn't even bitten into yet by the end of that scene. But you see he's been munching on that thing the whole time. That kind of bugged me. Also, finally... When the in the strip club, when, when Quinn was talking to that Nadia chick, it, behind Quinn's shoulder, there's like there's a group of strippers, and and then and when it do the reverse shot to behind the other the Nadia girl's shoulders, there'd be that same strippers walking around. The most noticeable one is this one girl dressed in green or whatever. So viewers, upon a rewatch, look for this stripper dressed in green. She's all over that. She's make I don't know. She's teleporting. I don't know what she's doing. We got some magic happening. Anyway, Gareth. You, you're, you're a guy. Thanks, Mr. Picky. Aren't you the continuity man this week? <laughs> well spotted, though. It seems we think the same about the Lewis storyline. Let's hope for more fun times to come with him. The Ukrainian mob thing hasn't grabbed me yet, but in Isaac's Serco, we have a more physically formidable foe. He's ruthless, but charismatic, and not afraid to kill. We've had intelligent adversaries before, but really only Brian or Dokes could compete with Dexter on a physical level. And you're right, Travis, that there are plenty more questions for Deb to be asking, not least about Dokes, and that he went down as the butcher. In that opening scene this week, with Deb vomiting into the gutter, they could have just acknowledged him by having her mention his name after she asked Dex if he was the Bay Harbour butcher. I'm sure that's to come because we know the Dotes connection is certainly not going away. On to an email now from Nick Henderson. He says, Another week, another strong episode in season 7. For the first time since season 5, I feel the writers have a direction and an arc in mind when it comes to developing the season. Once again, the writers don't waste any time addressing the issue at hand. Dexter lays his secret on the table for Deb to react to and the resulting scene is another powerful performance from Michael and Jennifer. I was pleased to see that Deb is continuing to ask the right questions, and doing just about everything to ensure that her reaction and response is believable to the audience. I loved the performance from Michael in the scene outside of the apartment. Watching him try to find his footing in that exchange was brilliant. It's really nice to see Dexter 
being so honest with Deb since it really is something we have never seen before on the show. His willingness to confess everything to her is a testament to the strength of their relationship. Of course, it was unsettling again to watch Dexter flip the switch back on when she told him that the people on his bloodslides were the victims. It was cool to see him tell her about several of the victims that the audience can remember from the early days of the show. The focus of this episode was centred around Deborah's decision to treat her brother's condition as an addiction. We all know this is a delusion, and no amount of therapy would ever allow Dexter to shed his darkness, but I don't think anyone would blame her for thinking this way. I felt a glimmer of hope as Deborah's plan to treat Dexter began to bear fruit before finally having it snatched away in one final moment of clarity at the end of the episode. It was a really great progression and another pivotal realisation for Dexter that will certainly have an effect on his frame of mind going forward. Once again, it was the scenes between Michael and Jennifer that carried the episode. The whole interaction at the dinner table was priceless and incredibly satisfying who, to anyone who has imagined this moment since the show began. I loved Deb's reaction to Dexter describing his urge to kill in such a dramatic fashion. I also liked the subtle discomfort on Deb's part when Dexter made the quip about the shower. As someone who has never been blatantly against the idea of a romantic relationship developing between Deb and Dexter, I found this to be a rather subtle and humorous reminder of the more complex dilemma that Deb is in. Before anyone jumps down my throat for supporting such a, quote, ridiculous plotline, Gareth and Travis, I'm looking at you, what? <laughs> Let me say that my supports will all depend on how far down the rabbit hole they go and the path they take to get there. I'll save that conversation for later in the season, though, as I'm sure they'll be revisiting this periodically. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that my feelings regarding Lewis are coming to pass. I don't think he will ultimately become anything more than a stalker, I'm calling it now. I don't think he has any connection to Dexter or Brian, and I feel that in the grand scheme of things, he'll be looked back upon as one of the biggest disappointments of the season. A real shame since he was the high point of season six. Predictions aside, I loved his video blog because it was the first time we got to see how disturbed and immoral Lewis truly is. Too bad I don't think it will go much further than this. The confrontation in the apartment was great as well. As usual, seeing Dexter unleash his darkness in such a blatant way is always thrilling. Subsequent, the subsequent surrender to Deb's plea when Dexter kidnapped Lewis was a real, touching and important scene in the episode. Even considering sparing a life at Deb's request is another one of those subtle signs of how important she is to him. It instilled hope in the audience that Dexter might be able to control his darkness with Deb's help. It also suggested that Deb might ultimately be his salvation. If anyone can turn his life around, it's her. Many will continue to argue that the sibling relationship between the two is enough to carry this idea to fruition, but I'm not entirely convinced yet. Deb just might be the only hope he has for a happy ending at the end of this show. Thanks very much, Nick. Another very astute and thoughtful email, sir. Yes, there is a parallel here with Season 2 and Rita pushing Dexter into Narcotics Anonymous for some rehab, although, of course, she never knew the true nature of his addiction. We know it's unlikely to help Dexter now, or maybe it will in some way, but for now, he seems to be manipulating Deb into being optimistic and get himself some room to operate again. 
It sounds, Nick, like you found Dexter's spiel to Deb quite believable, that he was being truthful and honest with her. Hey, maybe he was. <laughs> I'm just thinking that we know Dexter can be manipulative when he wants to be. He has no problem at all in lying and tugging the heartstrings to help himself. I suppose it's a Peter and the Wolf situation. How do we always know when to believe him? It's interesting, and I have no problem with this dilemma for us as an audience. The show is not black and white, and never has been really when you think about the whole basic premise. <laughs> Nick, you play with fire, <laughs> mentioning the plot that must not be named. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course, but you, you bring it up here, and I'm sure that for those who don't have a problem with it, it'll give more weight and credence to Deb being so willing and ready to help and support Dex. As for Lewis... There is just the possibility that he'll just end up being a childish stalker type, upset at Dexter's dismissal of his video game. And reading your email, the subject of internet trolls occurred to me. How we can all be very brave when we're sitting behind a keyboard and, and say what we like to people, but when you're actually face to face, you know, that's an entirely different kettle of fish. So when Dexter confronted Lewis, he just went to pieces. But when he's from the safety of his, of his behind his computer, he can screw with him, mess with him, create all these video blogs full of vitriol and um, blood and thunder. But, you know, it links back into me saying that Lewis doesn't know who he's dealing with and he really is dealing with a, a dangerous man, a killer. And perhaps if he knew the truth... Um, he wouldn't be quite so brave. I think he's possibly skating on very thin ice. Maybe we need some background on Lewis. What made him like this? Maybe his parents didn't love him enough or give him enough attention. Could be something like that, and that might be disappointing, but perfectly plausible in the real world. We all know people who can react childishly to criticism. Internet trolls are commonplace. The bullied become the bullies it's just in the context of a show like this we automatically expect more we want something dark and perhaps that's partly the fault of the weakness of season six that we latched onto lewis like we did we needed something something <laughs> when the main storyline was so average thanks again nick on to another email from Sandy Marshall in Ireland, who says, Hi Gareth, you must be relieved that the podcasting is all sorted. You better believe it, Sandy. <laughs> I was delighted to see that Lewis featured in so much of the previously on Dexter segment. A few thoughts on this week's episode. I wonder, will Dexter ever tell Deborah that he still has conversations with his father? When Dexter was describing the blood dripping behind his eyes to Deborah, this genuinely frightened the bejesus out of me. Brilliant acting and writing, to be fair. I was thinking that the writers were leading us down the wrong path, as Lewis was just a pathetic geek. But ten minutes later, when he grabbed a beer from Dexter's fridge, I was saying, Woo, that guy has some balls on him. <laughs> no doubt Dexter will regret not killing off Lewis later on in the series. I can't see him getting such a good opportunity as late on that night by the beach. Basically, I thought the episode was okay. A good story arc, building episode. Let's hope the momentum keeps going. Thanks, Sandy. Yes, indeed. It was a relief. 
to get the podcast sorted. I'm just bracing myself and hoping I don't have the same trouble this week. But if I do, no doubt you'll be one of the first to know because I'll probably whinge about it on Twitter. <laughs> At Dissect Dexter, by the way, if anyone's not following me on Twitter. Uh, your points. Um, I don't think Dexter will tell Deb that he speaks to Harry I'm sure he knows Harry's not really there. It's not the real Harry or even a ghost of him, just a part of his psyche. James Remar in the Dexter Wrap-Up podcast said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, said that he's an inner manifestation of Harry's code. So, or, or I suppose a sort of a conscience, if you will. So I'd be very surprised if Dexter revealed that he talks to Harry in any way. As for Lewis... We've covered him quite a bit already, but there's still a lot of intrigue there. Thanks again, Sandy. Next, an email from Vince, who is Goliath Growl on Twitter. And it's Vince that was um, corresponding last season and saying that he was uh, jumping off the Dexter train. It, it It was basically ready to wash his hands of the show and was done with it. And um, when I touch base with him before this season he was not intending to uh, get back into it but I did suggest that he check out the premiere and give it a chance anyway Vince emailed much to my delight and this is what he says I took your advice and watched the first episode of the new season and I really was not impressed it seemed like a tired show going for one more tired season that should have ended long ago then for some reason I watched episode 2 I could not believe how much I enjoyed that episode I can put my finger on how or why sorry Vince says I can't put my finger on how or why (laughs) but the tone and the filming style while getting back to its roots seemed fresh and wildly interesting. Besides knowing that the convict was only there for the ice cream and counting the seconds till the Quinn dancer plot line was done, I enjoyed it from top to bottom. I didn't think the old guy had it in him, but that episode definitely turned me around, which was very hard to do. Well, Vince, <laughs> I'm grinning. I'm really glad you came back to the show, even if it's just for now, but I'm surprised... You weren't impressed with the premiere, but at least episode two got your attention. You're not alone in not being too bothered about Quinn, but the show really seems to have a new direction, and I'm right there with them. I hope to hear from you later to see if you're still on board, maybe in a few episodes' time. Thanks for emailing. Also emailing this week is Danielle from Sydney in Australia, who says, Well... Who didn't love the Dexter slurping spaghetti scene? Increasingly, I get the impression that Dexter no longer cares about being rid of his dark passenger. Since season three, he has really struggled with coming to terms with who or what he is. Can he be saved? Is he doomed? Etc. And there have been all these characters such as Rita, Miguel Prado, Trinity, Lumen and the Preacher Guy to help him explore this. Now I feel he seems resigned to being who he is, and even Harrison seems to have little or zero impact upon him. Is it realistic for us to expect him to change after all this time? Which brings me to how can they get another season out of this show without it turning into an X-Files type disaster? So, for me, the dilemma for Dexter this season comes down to what will Dexter do? Kill Deborah or not? Kill Lewis or not? Be saved or not? 
and that question for me is wearing thin. It also looks like LaGuerta will finally become part of a slide collection if she's the one to catch Dexter. I will not be happy. Her character doesn't deserve it. Thanks, Danielle. I think you're right about Dexter in The Dark Passenger. I think he'd been in a place of acceptance. He'd dabbled with the notion of something spiritual last season as a way of finding some peace, but he wasn't looking to rid himself of the darkness. Perhaps he can do that again this year, but find some peace through the love and support of his sister. Take heart from her acceptance. I'm not sure, Danielle, whether you're feeling too optimistic about the show at the moment. There are certainly questions there about what will happen, but there is a hint of scepticism in your email. I suppose after two average seasons we can be forgiven for feeling like that. Personally, I'm being swept along by what we've got so far and I'm just enjoying it while it lasts. And if it lasts until the end of season eight, I'll be a very happy camper. <laughs> and you mentioned LaGuerta becoming a bloodslide. It's possible, but I don't know if she's done anything to fit the code yet. And as far as we know, neither is Lewis. Hey, here's one. How about Deb kills LaGuerta to protect Dexter? Hey, I'll leave that with you. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Email your feedback to dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Blood. Sometimes it sets my teeth on edge. Chris, Kesey, Kesey, sorry, not doing very very well with surnames this week. Uh, Chris emailed to respond to my question about how easy it is in reality to get syringes onto an aeroplane in this time of heightened security. He says, my brother is an insulin dependent diabetic. He uses syringes to inject himself. I've taken several aeroplane trips with him since 2001 and I've yet to see security so much as question him about the syringes in his carry-on. He always has a doctor's note just in case but he hasn't yet had a reason to use it. Maybe he's just lucky to never have been questioned at security but his experiences lead me to believe that Dexter getting syringes through security is not that far-fetched. Here's to another great season of Dexter and of dissecting Dexter. Okay, thanks for answering that one, Chris. Like I said, I didn't know what the situation was there, but I am a little surprised that they don't ask for a doctor's note or prescription or something. But then again, anything like that could be faked anyway, so what would be the point? (laughs) Cheers, Chris. On to another email. Alex Bowden from Bristol in England says, The first question is that at the beginning of the episode when Dexter was trying to explain Deb about why he's a serial killer, I thought... Why not explain to Deb about Travis kidnapping Harrison and trying to sacrifice him? Perhaps that might add a tiny bit of sympathy or a bit of understanding. My next point is it seems that when Deb decides Dexter should stay at her house, where is Harrison? There was no mention of where he was staying. I'm starting to agree with one of your other listeners' comments about Harrison slowly being cut from the show. Then later during the episode when Jamie had slept over at Dex's apartment and had him for what seems like a day and a half, seemed odd to me. My next thought would be with the whole Dexter trying to go to a serial killer rehab with Deb. I thought a more interesting idea would have been with brother Sam from last season, and instead of him dying midway through, perhaps Sam would try to help Dexter get rid of his dark passenger through God and prayer. That would be more interesting to me than with Deb. The Dexter invading Lewis's apartment scene with him being upset about his game. 
it just made me sigh and made me think, really, is he just going to be an upset geek who has powerful computer skills? I hope this is a bluff and we see a very dark, powerful Lewis coming out of the woodwork during late this season and perhaps early season 8. The cop storyline has got a lot more interesting with the new character, the so-called leader of the Brotherhood, which seems to be this year's big bad, although he does remind me of Jordan Chase. Near the end of the episode scene, I was quite surprised when Dexter called Deb, although after Deb left, part of me thought, why Dexter did it was to just impress Deb to seem like he could control his urges and then perhaps so he could get a little time off to continue killing but I'm not sure. The storyline with the convict trying to help Miami PD didn't seem that worthwhile. It just seemed to put in the mind of the viewers the two options that Dexter might have to do which is either commit suicide or to spend life in prison which the average Dexter fan knows from season one that could be two options for the finale of Dexter. Overall, I enjoyed this episode. It seems to be setting up interesting storylines for later episodes that I'm looking forward to. Thanks for all your hard work, Gareth, and thanks for the great podcast. Thanks, Alex. First-time emailer, but established contributor to the Facebook page. I thought Dexter was going to tell Deb about Travis abducting Harrison last week. It would, of course, lead to lots of other questions, but Deb's questions are inevitable now, and they're coming thick and fast, so... It might only be a matter of time before he talks about what Travis did. And you had a similar thought to me about Dexter talking to Deb near the end when he had Lewis unconscious in the car. Time will tell how sincere he was, but I'm leaning to him manipulating Deb there. Hi, Gareth. Ken from Pittsburgh calling in again. Um, look, I called earlier this morning, but uh, I was on like four hours of sleep, and uh, my message was full of pregnant pause and whatnot, and... I figured I'd call again just to make my points a little bit clear. I talk better at night anyways. Um, I'm sure you and everyone else calling in will probably be seeing the praises of Wayne Randall, uh, the guest character of the FBI, had him on. And, well, I thought he was really great. What I want to praise is uh, how the writers killed him off, which is a bit of black humor, uh, I really, really liked how he was killed off by a truck uh, called the Sun and Go. You know, like a, an oil company called the Sun and Go. I thought that was a really brilliant piece of, you know, irony, some black humor. And that was probably, I mean, it was at the end of the episode, so it's easy for it to be a highlight. But I really, really liked that. Kind of put like a smile on my face. Um, one of the other things I really liked this episode was how. Uh, Quinn was actually making progress in the case by being Quinn. Uh, he got exclusive and important evidence in the case before Batista did, simply by talking to the stripper, uh, you know, at, at the strip club. And I'm like, is that something I'd like to see more of? I mean, Quinn is an irresponsible detective, but he's not the worst, and he actually seemed pretty focused, even, you know, in the car with a stripper, on getting information about the case. I mean, sure, that could be a bluff, but I don't know. I know you and some other people think or maybe want Quinn to be uh, killed off in some sort of uh, event where he sacrifices himself and makes up for his past actions. I would actually kind of like it to see, you know, Quinn stays around 
and maybe he's just better. Maybe we see this season Batista get angry at Quinn for getting results from methods that are, you know, questionable. I don't know. This is that, and I kind of liked how they name-dropped Frank Lundy a few times this episode. Deborah, you know, read the article about that. Uh, his name was on the evidence box that Laguerta was opening up. The season really feels like it's got the tiebacks, the uh, past episodes. You know, um, and Dex's name dropping the uh, psychiatrist who was um, manipulating women and killing themselves. That, too, was a good tie-in, you know. Let's us know that Dexter doesn't forget, you know. Every, everything that's happened to him, he holds on with him. It's nice. That's Sunshine and a Frosty Swirl. I have to say, I really like the episode. The writing doesn't always seem solid. I mean, um, some of the discussions don't feel as organic as maybe they could be. But content-wise, I'm really liking the episodes. And I'm really liking the pacing of the uh, the Ukrainian mob. I have to be honest, um, last week, uh, I was so frustrated when people kept uh, calling Victor Russian because I knew the mob to be Ukrainian. But as um, it was repeated more than once this episode, that there was Russian, but working for the Ukraine mob. So I guess everyone was right in saying Victor was Russian. But the mob is Ukrainian, and I'm going to keep repeating that until people get it right. I'm a stickler for ethnic details. So, all right, Gareth. I think that's all for tonight. Call you next week. Bye. Thanks very much, Ken. The show does do dark humour very well. It was one of the things I first appreciated about the show back in season one. (laughs) Point made there about the Ukrainian mob. You're perfectly right. The show does say Ukrainian mob, and we know Russia and Ukraine are two different countries, so feel free to police us if we slip up. (laughs) Come to think of it, I possibly did in my review. You know, you make an interesting point about Quinn. A fair point getting some detective work done through being a sleaze. (laughs) Maybe by luck more than judgment, or maybe just playing to his strengths. Perhaps he deserves just a tiny bit of credit. I wouldn't say I want him to get killed off, but it is a possible path for his character to take, and I suppose it's natural to want a character to get redemption in some way. And I could see this as a possibility for Quinn, should they look to kill him off or plan his redemption. But you make a very good point about him, and in the broader scheme of things, it can be fun to have a detective who is a bit irresponsible, has dodgy morals, yet manages to get some results. It's a character cliche in television, maybe, but if done right, it can work. Plus, he is only a supporting character, not the focus of the show. Perhaps perhaps I'll cut him some more slack and see where they go with him over the next few episodes. Okay, thanks everybody. If you want to call in, we've got two listener lines, as regular listeners will know. In the US, the number is 646-222-6122. And in the UK, it's 844 
579-6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. There's also good old email, dissectingdexter at gmail.com. On Twitter, it's at dissectdexter, or my personal Twitter, which is at gareth underscore UK. There's also the Facebook page. Jump onto Facebook, search for Dissecting Dexter, and Bob's your uncle. This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast. It doesn't matter what I do. Born in blood. Both of us. I won't labour the sponsor message this week, but I do like to give them a mention. Audible.com is one of the leading online purveyors of audio content with a catalogue of over 100,000 titles encompassing just about any subject you can imagine, fiction or non-fiction. They're offering you, the listener of Dissecting Dexter, a free audiobook download. You can choose anything. All you have to do is visit www.audibletrial.com slash Dexter. You sign up for a free, no-obligation, one-month trial, and you can get your audiobook. And in doing so, you'll be supporting the podcast and helping me out a little bit. Cheers, guys. Next time on Dissecting Dexter... Okay, a quick spoiler-free preview, or more accurately, wild speculation based on nothing. (laughs) No, that's not entirely true, but it is wild speculation about what might come up next week. Except that I am about to say what the episode title is, so skip forward a few seconds if you don't want to know. The next episode is called Buck the System. Buck the System. I'm not sure if that's a play on words relating to the showrunner Scott Buck or whether whether Dexter just does things his own way next week, which wouldn't be too unusual. His relationship with Deb is in a very volatile state. He's tried to pull the wool over her eyes and let her think her intervention's helping. He'll be hoping she'll pull back a bit and give him some room to manoeuvre, some space to operate. There's still plenty for them to talk about, though, and I'm hoping for some more insightful conversation next time. I want to hear them talk about Dokes, Trinity, and more about Dexter's origins, his childhood, Harry's relationship with Laura Moser. Not much of it will put a smile on Deb's face, but she probably needs to know just about everything now if she's ever going to be on side again completely. But now her eyes have been opened, she's going to be wary of his tricks slipping out in the middle of the night, pretending to be places he isn't, that kind of thing. It's going to be a lot harder for him to do his thing, even if she does cut him a little slack, or she might even keep him close if he thinks, if she thinks what she's doing is helping. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I said earlier I'm all on board at the moment and really excited for what's to come. Not least LaGuerta and her off-the-books investigation... The adrenaline must be building up inside her, as she realises that her old friend really was innocent. She's going to know the real killer is still out there. Question is, how's Deb going to react when she has the conversation with her? It'll put her own acting skills to the test. Maybe then she'll have the conversation with Dexter that we want, discussing what happened with Dokes. We've talked about Lewis a lot this week already, so I won't repeat myself, but I am looking forward to seeing how he reacts to waking up by the beach. Will he remember how he came to be there? Will he be angry or intimidated now? 
I won't speculate much more about the Ukrainian mob plot. I still don't know how Serco is going to find out Dexter killed his man, but I enjoy seeing actor Ray Stevenson doing his thing. And I'm sure Soko, Serco will leave a reasonable trail of bodies in his wake as he tries to find the killer. And with that, we come to the end of another Dissecting Dexter. Again, I'll not loiter for this little outro bit. I'll uh, save you a bit of time and let you, all, you guys all get going. I'll just say, the episode is very nicely poised. It's being set up really well. And as I've, as I've said, I'm all on board and enjoying it. And I hope, I hope you guys are too. And until next week, when we dissect some more Dexter together, I shall say farewell, have a good week, and bye for now.